It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. And we have a great guest today, a founder of a new franchise out of Canada and also a friend of mine. And we'll get to that in a minute. My name is Tom Scarta and I am a franchise consultant. I match people with franchise opportunities based on skills, personality, goals, kind of like the e-harmony of business is what I like to call it. And I work with people all over the country, helping them figure out if franchising is for them or not. You know, it's not for everybody. You could listen to old podcasts or previously recorded podcasts at thefranchiseacademy.com. And there's a lot of good resources there for you if you are thinking about buying a franchise, if you're a franchisee and you want best practices, or if you are a franchise company. In addition, there's information for folks that want to turn their business into a franchise. So it's all there for you. It's all free. Today, I have Andrea Munde with me. Andrea is the co-founder of SCOA, which is a facial franchise out of Canada, as I mentioned. So Andrea is, is awesome. She started this business a few years back, and she's the first one to go to facials only as a facials only concept. And it's a membership model with a proprietary skincare line, which is awesome because that goes into the person's home. So it's marketing in the house, which is a great way to expand your business. Recently, I mean, within the past few weeks, maybe it is, or at least months, she partnered with Franworth, which is a leading franchise consulting firm, which accelerates brand growth and helps franchisees and franchisors. And just a great team over there, people who I've known for years and have great respect for. Andrea's served as brand manager for Lululemon. She's operated her own marketing communications consulting agency. She has won awards, which I'll let her tell you about. But I want to bring Andrea on. Andrea, hello. Hi. Hey, great to see you. You too. This is so great. Thanks for coming on. We have met over franchise conferences over the past few years. I think the brand that you're building is just stupendous. How many franchises do you have right now? We have 15 locations and eight of them are franchises. So we've only just gotten started. Just getting going. Just getting going. Very, (laughs) very exciting times. So what is SCOA? So we're a facials only concept. Um, We're a membership model. And about what makes us different than most single service concepts is that over half of our revenues are driven by product sales. So we have a high volume of product that goes out the door, primarily attached to the service. And we only sell our product through our locations. So we really give that exclusivity to the franchisees. And we also, of course, sell it on our website. That's so cool. So how did you come up with facials only? Why why this market? Well, we've been around for a very long time. And when we first started, we were a full service spa. And our reason for being was really more about creating a very different attitude and atmosphere in a very large market that really hadn't changed a lot in a number of years. So if you think back to one of our role models when we got started, uh, Ian Schreger, who started the Hudson Hotel and really took you know, that massive industry and turned it on its head and created 
sort of more of a boutique experience, something that catered to that younger urban traveler. And that's really what we did. And our first tagline was no whale music, no bubbling cherubs, no pretentious attitudes. And it was solely focused on making people feel more comfortable, having it not feel so feminine and spa-like. And we were a much smaller facility. So we wanted to really take that intimidation factor down, but we were a full service spa. And so things were going very well. We were, for the most part, attracting people who had never been to spas before, attracting also a lot of men. And about two years into our business, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, when things are going well, you think to yourself, well, what can I do differently? What can I do better? Uh, and you want to shake things up. And we went and traveled to, you know, some of the bigger cities, New York, LA, London, where things happen before they come to smaller places like Canada or Vancouver, where I'm based. And there was a woman out of New York that was creating a very different single service concept with nails. So she was taking the nails out of the full service spa and creating this really cool concept around it. And we thought that was really interesting. And when we came back and spoke to our estheticians and our, you know, front of house employees and asked them, like, what would you do all day long if you could? Everyone wanted to just do facials. And that's a really interesting one because facials are definitely, and weren't at the time, the most consumed service on our menu. But what we knew was that they were the service that really created that stickiness with the customer. It was really the only service where you get to know more about them than you would maybe getting a manicure or a massage. And we also have been developing our product line. So we knew that if we could attach the product line to that service, we could create a different experience around how people purchase products take out that intimidation, take out that sort of high pressure sale and just really teach somebody something about their skin. And so we took all of the services off the menu, created a single service concept with facials and launched our product line. Now that might not seem like all that big a deal today because we're very used to single service concepts. But when we did that, I think Massage Envy had maybe just started in uh, Texas but that was not on our radar. We were, you know, six or seven years away from the first blow dry bar. Eyelash bars didn't exist. Nail bars weren't really even a thing. And so to come out of the gates with a facials only concept was really considered crazy. And we just really believed that we could be the best in the world at one service. And we felt like we could really elevate the experience around how people bought product. And we could really dig into getting to know our customers and kind of having that experience where we work with them over time and make some changes to their skin. And that's really been our journey. And it's only been recently that we created the membership model. And we grew for the most part, you know, just on our own and, and started opening new locations based on demand in the area that, you know, we were based and it took a long time, though. I mean, people were not yet used to a single service concept. Facials were something a lot of people had had bad experiences with. So we really had to kind of build the foundation and have people understand, you know, what we were trying to do. And, uh, and that took a lot of time. Yeah. I think that there is an educational curve to facials, as you had mentioned. Yeah. So per personally, myself... I didn't really know what a facial was. I thought it was squeezing blackheads. That's all. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what a lot of people think. Yeah. 
could you give like a 30 second overview of really what uh, a SCOA experience would be like for a facial? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and the first thing that to me is so important is what is that first impression when someone walks in the door? When I have had, you know, my own experience walking maybe up to a beauty counter or even going into a spa, there's often been this feeling of intimidation or, you know, sort of exclusivity. And that's really important for me to break down. And our, our very first, you know, introduction when we first opened was we had a big jar of bubblegum on the counter because just like you did right there, you, you smile and bubblegum is very disarming. And so we wanted people to come in and immediately just let go of their apprehensions. And yeah. so when someone walks in, we're going to make sure that they're comfortable. We don't do the full sort of go into the lounge area and, you know, waste time sitting around reading magazines or, you know, eating peanuts. We really want people to feel like they can fit something like this into their life. So our services are an hour, hour and a half. And we, we really believe in, in also giving people a lot of things they don't expect through that service. So yes, we're going to take care of your skin, but we're also going to talk to you in a way that isn't difficult to understand. So I'm not going to go in and explain to you that I'm doing this extra sort of gommage facial experience. I'm just going to tell you straight up, I'm just going to take the dead skin off your face and it's going to feel smoother. And when we speak to people like that, you break down a lot of that intimidation that's not necessary. All of our services are in a room that is, you know, enclosed. So you're not in this big open space. There's some intimacy to it and privacy. We heat the beds from underneath. So you almost feel cocooned. We have a big fluffy duvet. We don't play whale music. We don't play pan pipes. We play, you know, down tempo house music that, you know, our customers who are younger, our customers are sort of that 25 to 55. They're not, and, and that's a mindset. It's not an age. They want something that's more modern and a little bit more experiential and a little bit more education focused. And we really have two pillars throughout the experience. So yes, we are going to be giving you a uh, professional service, but we're also going to focus on teaching you something. So education is one pillar and empathy is the other. You know, when somebody comes in and they're in their early 40s and you ask them what they're worried about and they tell you, well, you know, I'm kind of worried about these lines around my eyes or, you know, I look angry now. What they're really telling us is that they're having some feelings about how they're changing. And they're not necessarily, it's not that they're not happy with what they see in the mirror. It's that we're reminded that, you know, we're, we're on the, the second phase of our life. And there's right. feelings that come with that, right? There's feelings. And sometimes those feelings are, well, you know, I don't know if the person I'm with thinks I'm as attractive. Or I don't know if I feel like I'm as attractive. And there's a lot of emotion wrapped around skincare. Lots of people have had traumatic experiences with skin. And that happens a lot. And it's a very emotional experience when we start asking them to talk about their skin. And right. so, you know, that empathy as the second pillar is really, really important. We want to help people understand that, you know what, it's not a mystery. We can get a program for you that, you know, we're going to tweak as we go every month. And it's going to be something that you can also control. But we also want to make people comfortable. We don't want to make ourselves sort of a little too serious, take ourselves right. too seriously. And so 
while we do the treatments, we're also going to make sure that a part of that experience is wellness and relaxation. So while the masks are on, like we don't leave you in the room and wander around and, you know, get on our phones, we're going to give you a neck, shoulder, arm, scalp, foot massage so that it's something that maybe you don't expect. And you come out and you realize, wow, that was almost like a full body massage, but look at my skin, it glows. We take a different approach. We don't want you to leave red and irritated and it's not necessary. Extractions should happen easily. And if they don't, we'll try again next, next time you're here and we'll do some things to your skin to help, you know, make sure those extractions work better the next time. But most people leave with like glowing skin and they can't believe it. So that's really the result we want. Right, right. Well, you're, you have glowing skin. So obviously you're, uh, uh, you know, part of your uh, whole you. service is, is you, you're the face of it, you know, literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> so, but I love the whole empathy part. That is really, really insightful because you're right. That's what people are saying. So instead of going for Botox, you should go for a facial and get, get cleaned up and feel younger at, at SCOA. Well, and to be honest, you know, lots of our customers are having other more invasive treatments, whether that be Botox or fillers, and that's okay. We never want people to feel like having those things, those services done are a negative thing because in my personal opinion, whatever you do for yourself that makes you feel good is important, but you still need to have great skincare if you're going to be doing any other service, that's not going to handle your skin. That's just going to handle certain aspects of it. So we yep. like people to feel confident and comfortable in whatever it is they decide to do. So are you seeing more men coming in because of the way you do your marketing? I think men have always felt comfortable at SCOA because we've always been very gender neutral. And we also, you know, have a very simple menu offering. And I'm not saying men are simple. <laughs> but I think that the intimidation that m some men have explained from their experience in past, you know, treatments they've had elsewhere is that they've not really, they've run through a, a menu that's got 30 services on it. Where do you start? We right. have three options and it's really based on time because your facials are going to be based on you. We're going to change the service relative to what it is, not just that we think you need, but also what it is that you are looking for. So um, it's very customized at, at every turn. So aside from being a successful, you know, entrepreneur and, and someone who's really giving back business ownership, I mean, you are a mom of four kids. Um, that's amazing to me. And you recently won some awards. Tell us about the awards. I, so I love champagne, like most people in my, like you, like You're most right. of my friends. I don't do a lot of awards. I, I, I guess in some ways, yeah, for, for some people, it's not a comfortable place to be. But this one I did uh, apply for. Uh, one of my coworkers nominated me for the Viv Clico Businesswoman Award. And it's an award that they do in 37 countries. And Viv Clico is... Uh, uh, the Champagne House based in, in France. And I really liked, it's the one award application that I really loved filling out because it was based on values, beliefs, and I really was just totally honest. And I never thought in a moment that it would be something that I would 
be shortlisted for, let alone win. And they, they told me that I was a, a finalist and I flew to Toronto and we had to give a presentation. And to be honest, I gave my presentation and then I thought, okay, I'm done. I can drink champagne now. And then when I won, I couldn't, I hadn't contemplated winning. And so of course I had to, you know, figure out what I was going to say. But oh, wow. what I realized, it wasn't really just winning that award. So they took us in groups of three. So there were 12 of us that went to their headquarters in, it's called Reims, I think is how you pronounce it. If you're from North America, you say Reims. And they shut down their facility in, in July and they did a summit with 12 of the winners from around the world. And it was just the most incredible experience. And we all had very different businesses, but we were able to really see that it didn't matter where you lived in the world. There was a woman from Ethiopia that had one. There was a woman from the Netherlands. There was another woman from England. And uh, the French winner was there. And we just realized that we all deal with the same stuff. It doesn't matter where you live. You know, some, some of us had kids, some of us didn't. And I've kept in touch with a lot of the, the women that have won, as well as the Veuve Clicquot Canadian team. And it, it was just this transformational experience. And it, it, they've always really been a brand that not necessarily focuses on women, but that sees them as just as capable. And, you know, Madame Clicquot took over this champagne house when she was 27 years old, which is about, was the same age I was when um, we started SCOA. And she was the first one to create a rosé champagne. And this is in the 1700s when, you know, women were not involved in business at all, let alone running a champagne house. And yeah. she just did it. And, you know, their winemaker, their head winemaker was a 30-year-old woman that, you know, we were out in the vineyard with. And it was just a really interesting and cool experience and something that I'm really proud of. And I continue to be involved in, you know, some of the things they do. And I think that that was a really different type of award to win because it was based on innovation. It was based on not necessarily, you know, how big your company is, but what are your values and beliefs around your business? And that to me, it was a very different approach for, you know, such a massive global company to take. Amazing. It's so amazing, yeah, and real, you know, positive uh, female role models, the whole thing. That's such a cool, I never, I never heard of that award, so that's why I wanted you to talk about it. Thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that. But back to franchising for a minute. <laughs> why did you feel that franchising was a good move for SCOA? Mm -hmm. Well, originally, you know, I did not think about franchising at all for my industry. Franchising was something I knew very little about. And what had happened was, I think we had about nine locations and we decided, you know, we had a location in Boston that was set up as a license. It's been there since 2010, an incredible, he's a franchisee now. But when we first started, Pete was set up as a license. We only had three locations. No, we had two locations when Pete opened his first one in Boston. And so how that came about, and I will get to the story of, of how we got into franchising, was that Pete, um, you know, had the first facial of his life in our flagship store in Yaletown. He was on vacation and, um, you know, went to dinner and him and his husband started to think about, you know, Pete's career. He was a lawyer. He had been to Yale. He's an incredibly smart guy and, you know, said, why don't 
his husband said, why don't you bring Scoa to Boston if you, know, if you think it's going to work here? And so a few weeks later, I got a call from Pete, and we have different versions of the same story. He sent me an email, actually, and it, it you know, said, I'd love to talk to you about franchising in Boston. And apparently my response was, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll give you 10 minutes of my time, which I can't imagine saying, and I'm sure I didn't mean it in any way that was rude, but we ended up, our 10-minute call was about an hour and a half, two hours, and he'd really thought a lot about bringing our concept to Boston because he felt like, you know, our concept is, we call it personal training for your skin, so there's almost like a practicality to how you experience what we do, and Pete felt that you know, that Boston practicality, that would appeal to them. And he was right. And he opened his first location as a licensed dealer location because uh, we weren't set up to be franchising at all. And off he went. And he did really well right from the beginning. And then what happened is, you know, we, we still hadn't thought about franchising. We continued to open more locations. We got to about nine-ish locations. And we decided, well, you know, maybe we should look at Seattle. Seattle's close to Vancouver. We have this East Coast, West Coast experience. And we opened our first location in Seattle. And unfortunately, what happened at that time is we had a number of personal um, experiences in life, like we all do, that sort of piggybacked up on top of one another and created some real challenges for us. So the first thing that happened was that my dad got very, very sick with a brain tumor very suddenly and a very advanced, you know, uh, there was no turning back kind of brain tumor and he died very suddenly. And my dad and I were best friends and, and that was a big blow for me. Shortly after that, my partner Chris's mom got in a car accident, became a quadriplegic and she passed away. My three-year-old nephew was diagnosed with leukemia, and he passed away right before his fourth birthday, which was obviously the biggest tragedy for all of us. I also had my fourth baby, which was not a, that's a great thing. But when you're opening a business in Seattle, you know, I'm driving up and down the I-5 literally days after he's born, you know, and trying to build this business in the way that we had done it with all of our other locations, which was really about getting to know and sort of connect with our community. And that had worked very well for us. And that had worked very well for Pete. But I didn't have the same bandwidth I had with my own locations because of all those personal experiences that were going on. It's not easy to spend time out in the community getting to know your neighbors when you're feeling like you need to race back home and, you know, be with sure. your family or, you know, I had, my son was colicky as well. So of course, you know, 5 p.m. hits, I got to get in the car. I can't be in the shop anymore. And so that really led us, I remember driving down the I-5 on the way. I totally remember the entire moment where the sun always, you know, it, well, the sun obviously sets in the same place, but, you know, I saw it like setting out the left side of the window I'm driving down the I-5 and I just remember I called Chris and I, my partner, I said, you know, we need a Boston Pete in Seattle. We need someone who knows this market. We've, we've got great staff. We've got these great systems that we can roll out for training and operations. We've done that before. We've opened stores in Calgary where we have other connections, but we don't have that personal connection. And from there, we that's where franchising started. We started looking at the industry. And the first show I went to was the Springboard Show way before we were even ready to franchise. 
And that changed everything. That's where we realized, okay, you know what? This is a thing. And actually that's where I met Anna Phillips from the Lash Lounge, who is my best friend in the world. And I've learned a lot from her about franchising. And that's really where it all started. And what I realized was that you know, we had great systems, we have, we have great training programs, but we need that local expert from a marketing perspective, from a community building perspective. And at this stage, I mean, we are still creating the category. There isn't yet a facials concept bigger than mine. And I have, you know, 15 locations. The ones that are sort of coming up behind us, they don't have their own product line. So we are, we've got this moat around us where, you know, not only do we have the product line, but we've got over 15 years of operating this concept. And that's, that's a big thing in franchising. When you've done it yourself and you operate your own, you know what it's like. So when my franchisees come and talk to me about something, I, I, I say to them, I'm like, there's very, well, except for Pete, I'll talk about Pete. There's very few things that they will share with me that I have not personally experienced. Pete, on the other hand, for some reason, uh, in Boston, has experienced pretty much every natural disaster out there. I mean, there was that snowstorm. I think there was like a hurricane randomly in Boston somehow. There was a shooting in front of his store. There was a, well, the bomb that was not far from the store. So you know, Pete calls me, he's like, you're never going to believe what happened. And I always say to him, no, I probably won't. But, you know, two days after he opened his shop, there was a flood above him with a grease leak. So just everything has happened to Pete. But, you know, that's why he's such a, a great franchisee is because he's also been on this journey with us and gone through, you know, some pretty crazy experiences and continued to build his business. So, um, well, that's what I love about franchising. Yeah. It's it's collaborative. It, and it very much is. And when you're buying into a franchise, it's great to get involved with somebody who has a founder that is so hands-on like you are and has been through all the trials and tribulations. I mean, you're buying a business with training wheels. So you are the training wheels for a SCOA franchisee. But what's even cooler, which I want people to understand, is the relationship with Franworth. And what does mm-hmm. that mean for you. Could you talk a little bit about Franworth? Yeah. So, you know, we started franchising, I guess, three and a half or so years ago. We've definitely taken a slower approach to it because I think what I've learned is that it's just tough to do it on your own in any kind of scale. Unless you have that infrastructure behind you to support those franchisees, it's going to be very difficult to succeed. And we had a number of opportunities before us. We're a pioneering concept. We have strong unit economics. We have an interesting business with multiple revenue streams. So we attract a lot of attention from private equity and firms that, you know, really want to amplify our growth. So we had a couple of options. We had two LOIs from private equity and then I was introduced to John Rachi at Franworth through Anna and also through a mentor of mine named John DeHart, who has LiveWell, who's now partnered as well with Franworth. And John and I got on the phone and spoke for, I think, three and a half hours. And I went out to Ann Arbor to meet with them. And I'm a little out there with these kinds of things, so bear with me. But when I walked in the Franworth office, they had a jar of bubblegum on the counter. 
And so these things just come full circle. And that to me, you know, when I saw that, I knew that there was something there. And when I spoke to John, I realized that the foundation that he's created Franworth on is on values. And that's really what I've been very disciplined about with our company. I learned that from John DeHart at LiveWell and his company prior to that, The Nurse Next Door. When we created core values, our entire business changed. And so really as, as simple as it may seem, we took our values and lined them up against the private equity option and the option with Franworth. And we realized that the Franworth option was way more connected to our values and Franworth has been an incredible partnership for us because we would never have access to the resources to support our franchisees that we have with Franworth. So we're dealing with, you know, a VP of digital marketing that came from Google AdWords when there were 12 people on the team and grew that to a 2,500 person team. We've got Megan Conway, who is our local star marketing VP. And to have that experience, she comes from service brands to help work with our franchisees to create their local store marketing programs, we would never be able to not only attract that kind of talent, but for a 15-unit franchise system, you'd never even be able to afford talent like that. David Barr, John Rachi, Dave Kyle, the CEO, pardon me, the president of Franworth, who's worked with multiple brands over the years. You know, these are people that I get to work with that I, I just can't imagine having that experience otherwise. And what I love about Friendworth is when we've brought prospects in, we've already done um, you know, one discovery day, you see how they realize that, yeah, I love the idea of SCOA. I can see this working where I live. But then they see that backbone that we have behind us where we, we don't have to sort of figure it out as we go. We've got these people that have worked on you know, so many different brands. There's hundreds of years of experience where you know, just like there's nothing I haven't seen in my system with my franchisees because of the shops I've owned, there's very little that Franworth experiences that we're going to go through that they don't know how to deal with. And so you take that path from going like this to going kind of like that. And yeah. that's really valuable. And I think that that's what will help us create a system that's really strong. And we have to grow quickly because we are cre we've created the category and there's other great players in our category and, and I've met some of them and um, I think you were with me when I met uh, one of the, the sort of next biggest place next to us and I said to them like we got to do this together we're creating what we want this category to be and we there's lots of room for us but but we need to work together to make sure that you know people know that getting a regular facial can actually change your skin and, um, you know, build that collectively. So Franworth has just been, I think, um, one of the best things for our franchisees. We signed our deal October 15th. Our conference was the next week. They, uh, three, Dave, Kyle, the president, and the two marketing VPs came to our conference. They weren't happy about it, but I made them climb Camelback Mountain with our franchisees. But it was really amazing for them to be able to learn from our franchisees and also, you know, help them understand how they were going to help the system and our franchisees. So, um, so we're just getting started. I'm actually going there on Monday. Again, I was there two weeks ago. So we'll build out our team in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I have great respect for John Rachi. I've known him for probably a decade now. Uh, David Barr, 
what a phenomenal guy with a ton of experience, just uh, was the president of the International Franchise Association for a year. I mean, just so much knowledge. And so if you're somebody thinking about buying a franchise, you know, if the franchise is up and coming like a SCOA, it's awesome to know that they have invested in them a company like Franworth that's going to help them grow exponentially faster and more efficiently as a brand. So you're buying into like a rocket ship. So it's just, I can't say enough about it. I love it. Uh, and I, I love that you partnered with them. And I'm very excited about that for them and for you. And I think it's going to be great. And even for us here on the consultant side to be able to talk about a company like SCOA is just a feather in my cap as well. So I just love what you're doing. What has been the biggest lesson that you've learned so far since you've been in franchising three years? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, and, and this might change, I, I understand I haven't been in franchising a long time, but I think that what I have learned about franchising is that it's absolutely not easier than growing on your own with company-owned stores. It's not. It requires, if you want to win, and when I say win, I mean have successful franchisees, you have to invest way more than you're going to receive from a royalty revenue stream. There's a heavy investment, not only in, you know, sort of helping them get off the ground, but also time. You know, teaching people how to be entrepreneurs requires a lot of time. And, and you can take a lot of that for granted. You know, I, I de- you don't know what you've learned until you start seeing how other people don't sort of have that as second nature. And so you have to really understand that there's nothing passive about it. I also think that when you are a pioneering brand, you need to look for a different type of franchisee than, you know, someone who is offering Domino's pizza franchises, for example. Now, it would have been different for Domino's early on, but you need someone that's willing to pioneer a brand in a new market and put some time into seeing where exactly that brand is going to fit within that market. And I think that a lot of people you know, have said to me, oh, you're in the business of franchising now. You're not in the business of facials. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think if you don't have passion behind the, the thing that you're doing, you're, it's never going to work as a franchise because you need to have that passion about what you do first. The franchising piece of it is just a part of who you bring along on that journey. That's it. Very well said. I love it. So now that you're in it, have you thought about anything that you might have done differently now that you're down the road a little ways? Yes. Early on, we made the mistake of bringing on a business development company and working with a broker network way before we were ready to do that. And the broker network was, was great. It, there's no criticism that I have there. In fact, I've stayed in touch with a lot of the brokers that I met in that network. But I recall, you know, I spoke to their president. I said, you know, I don't think we're ready yet because we really need to make sure that the system works even with just a few franchisees. We can't sort of launch without having anybody that can validate, for example. And so I think the mistake we made was working with a consulting group from a business development standpoint that sort of felt like we could just do this, go out into the broker networks, they're going to take us on. And they did. They were awesome. They loved what we were doing. 
but they can only do so much. All they can do is introduce you. You have to have that, that sort of infrastructure and all your ducks in a row. And, and, you know, I see that now with Franworth. I see what, wow, how did we even think that that would be, you know, our projections were way off. Um, and so I'm glad that now in retrospect that it was a bit of a slower process for us because it allowed us to learn how to be good franchisors as well. Yeah, you're in the right place at the right time. Um, and everything happens for a reason, right? So hmm. it, I, I think it's just grand what you're doing. Really good opportunity. So kind of to, to wrap it up, what is one myth about franchising that you could bust right here, right now? That, that it's easy. That it's easy to just roll it out, let the franchisees go out there and do all the heavy lifting, let them um, build the business on their dime. Those things are just not true at all, at all. I mean, you hear it all the time and, and you hear it within the industry sometimes. And the truth of it is, is that's not how it works at, at all. I mean, great, great point. And, and so I like to make, make the point with people that are looking to buy a franchise, you know, there's a lot of people that hang the sign, you know, franchise company, but they don't have the infrastructure behind them uh, the way SCOA does now. So you have to be careful and, and you got to learn how to vet a franchise. And that's kind of where I come in is, is teaching people how to do that. So, Andrew, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been phenomenal. So it was so great to have you on the show. I look forward to uh, seeing you very soon at the IFA and Springboard next year and everything else that, that we're involved in, Fran Choice, everything that's going on. So what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Well, you can go to our website, scoafranchising.com. Um, you can also go to our consumer site if you want to learn more about the facials and the products, and that's scoa.com. And I'm Andrea at scoa.com if you want to reach out directly. Well, that's so cool. And it's scoa is S-K-O-A-H. Is that right? You got it. Cool. Well, thanks so much. And Thank you. And we will talk with you again. See you soon. Bye. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.